We'll turn again in God's Word to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we'll be thinking about verses 5 to 8. The context, it does show us a bit of the context in the wider chapter, that we see that the church in Corinth was split into different factions, different groups who followed different personalities. We see that um, back in chapter 1 and verse 12 in particular, for it has, uh, verse uh, 11, for it's been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you say, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? So we have at least these four different factions. Those who said they followed Paul, those who followed Apollos, those following Cephas, that is Peter, and those who say they follow Christ. Now, that last group maybe sounds the most appealing. Of course, we follow Christ. But perhaps there was in it some sense of they felt themselves to be super spiritual in that regard. Maybe they were also involved in this faction, this party spirit uh, that was in Corinth. They weren't doing anything uh, to heal the divisions, but rather they were exasperating them. Nevertheless, we have a congregation that is divided into these sects or factions. Paul calls this carnal in our chapter. Verse 4, when one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? You're, you're behaving according to the flesh, not according to the spirit. And that's what carnal means. It's fleshly, worldly. This is not the way that you're to be. Uh, is Christ divided? No. And therefore the church is to be united. So that's the context. But in particular, we're thinking about verses 5 to 8. Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labour. First thing I want us to see from these verses is there is ministerial diversity as well as unity. Amongst the ministers of Christ, there is both diversity and unity. Let's look at the diversity first of all. You see it there in verse 6. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered. There were two different ministries that had been in Corinth to this day. Paul had gone first, Apollos had gone afterwards. Now Paul is well known to us. We know of his background as being a Pharisee, a legalist, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, but one who was converted on that road to Damascus and became the apostle to the Gentiles. 
The reason he could become an apostle is because he both heard and saw the risen Christ. Remember, that is one of the criteria that is necessary in order to be an apostle. That's why no one today can be an apostle. We've not seen and heard the risen Christ. But Paul did on that road. Christ was manifest to him so that he was in the same category as those disciples who had seen Jesus for those 40 days that he was on the earth after his resurrection. So Paul is well known to us as this apostle to the Gentiles. Apollos, perhaps, is not so well known. We meet him in Acts chapter 18 in the city of Ephesus. We're told that he was a man who came from Alexandria in Egypt. That is one of the largest cities, or it was one of the largest cities in Egypt at the time. And of all the cities in Egypt, this one was majority Greek-speaking. There was a huge center for Hellenism there. Uh, And so uh, it was in Alexandria uh, before this time that the Old Testament had been translated into Greek. That is the version of the Bible that was in common use uh, that is quoted in the New Testament. But also in Alexandria, there was a large influx of Jews. It was the largest urban community of Jews. Uh, And so those things are in the background for this man, Apollos. We don't know much about his life. We we don't have any of his writings in the scripture. uh, But we simply know that he came from this city. And those things are in his background. He was described in Acts 18 as an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures. So that gives you a clue as to what his preaching was. Eloquent and mighty. It says also he was fervent in spirit and he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. But there was one thing he had wrong. And maybe you remember it, uh, that in Ephesus he had to be taken aside by Aquila and Priscilla, that married couple, because he only knew the baptism of John. But once he was corrected, he took it, he took it well, he responded to criticism, he, uh, and he went on from strength to strength. When he left Ephesus to go to Achaia, that is, to go from Turkey to Greece, or to put it this way, to go from Ephesus to Corinth, because Corinth was the capital city of Achaia. It tells us, when he arrived in Achaia, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So here's a man who went to Corinth after Paul had been there, and he went, and his ministry was one uh, where he vigorously refuted the Jews, showing clearly, decisively, that Jesus was the Christ. We can maybe say this man was an apologist. This man uh, was able to debate. He was an intelligent and an eloquent man. And so Paul had been first in Corinth. He planted the church at the end of his second missionary journey. He left and went elsewhere. And then Apollos came in God's providence and ministered to this church. There we see 
that there is ministerial diversity. Two different men, different backgrounds, different circumstances in their lives. They came from different places, and yet God used them both in the one place. They had different gifts. Uh, we, we mentioned that yesterday, uh, that we're not all Paul. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Paul and Apollos were different men with different gifts. But God had prepared the way for both of these men, from their different backgrounds and through their different circumstances, that they would be the right men to minister in Corinth at the time. Probably these two men had different emphases in their preaching, different approaches to their style of pastoral ministry, different styles in the pulpit. They were not the same men. They were different. And so some people maybe uh, preferred Paul's preaching to Apollos's. But others uh, felt the other way. But what we do know is that they were different. Paul was not Apollos. And Apollos was not Paul. But not only were their backgrounds different and the way they did things different, but God also used them in different ways. It tells us there that Paul planted and Apollos watered. The effects of their ministry were different. Paul's was the early work of planting a church, of seeing converts, uh, of, of beginning a new work in a new city, a very pagan city, a city full of sexual immorality and all idolatry. And Paul planted the church. Apollos, on the other hand, watered. He came along after the seed had been sown and he watered it so that it would produce fruit. For many people in the church, they could think of, on how God used the Apostle Paul instrumentally in their conversion. They would think perhaps back to the sermon that Paul preached when they became convinced of their sin and guiltiness and of their need of a saviour. But then maybe they would think of Apollos' ministry amongst them. And they would think how, how much he taught them, how they were instructed in the doctrine of the word through his ministry, and that because of Apollos they were now more secure in their faith than they had been before. Because remember, Apollos refuted the Jews and the false teaching that they had. They, they were denying that Jesus was the Christ. But Apollos helped people see that Jesus was the Messiah promised of God. You see, God used these two men differently in the same place. There's diversity amongst ministers. It's always been that way. Different backgrounds, upbringings, and circumstances, different gifts, different styles, different approaches, different emphases, and different uses in the kingdom. One may see many conversions, another may see many people discipled and built up, instructed. One may come along with the purpose of pruning. Remember, not only is there planting and watering, but there's also pruning. One minister maybe engages in church discipline, which is necessary at the time, and he sees no increase from it until afterwards. Maybe, maybe another minister comes along, 
and his ministry amongst the congregation is blessed. Was it because of his preaching? Was it because of the former man's pruning? Is it a combination of both? God uses them differently. There's diversity. And you know that. You've had many ministers. You've, you've sat under different styles of preaching, different approaches. There's diversity. But yet there's also a remarkable unity in the gospel ministry, isn't there? There's more in common than there is different and distinct. The unity here is seen quite clearly in that both Paul and Apollos were engaged in, you could say, farming or in gardening. One planted, the other watered, but God gave the increase. It wasn't that that one did one thing, one job, and the other one did something completely unrelated. No, they were both gardening or farming, sowing and watering. If, If Paul had been called by God to remain in Corinth longer, he would have had to have gone from planting to watering. It would have been necessary for him to do that work. As the the congregation in Corinth would change from one phase to the next, he would have to uh, engage in such watering to, to try to help disciple the people in the faith. But there's a unity because both are involved in the same goal and the same aim to produce fruit, to see growth, growth of people coming to faith and being added to the church and growth in them being conformed to the image of Christ. And no matter who a minister, who, which minister there is in a congregation, there is still that aim. No matter who preaches, no matter what his style, no matter what his emphasis, all this is the aim and the goal. We see also in verse 8 quite clearly this unity. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labour. You couldn't make it more clear than that. Remember Paul is speaking to a church that's divided. These ones follow Paul, these ones follow Apollos, and he says, look here, Paul who planted and Apollos who watered are one. They are united with each other. They're they're more one than they are two because they're pulling in the same direction. There's diversity, yes, but there's also a great unity. I think this would greatly help these Corinthians. A proper appreciation of unity and diversity would stop them from following personalities. It would stop them simply belonging to a faction because of a man. No, don't follow Paul simply because he's Paul. Follow Paul as he imitates Christ. Follow Paul as he points you to the Saviour and as he he tries to labour for you to be built up in the faith. Follow Apollos in that same way. No matter who your minister is, follow them as they follow Christ. Ministers work together. It's sad, isn't it, that people leave churches sometimes over a minister. 
It's sad that people have been in churches all their lives and then a new minister comes along and they maybe don't click with them in the same way and so they move on to a new church. Or they, uh, they go shopping around for a better minister. They fail to understand this principle of diversity and unity. The ministers are one, labouring together in the same cause. It's also sad uh, that there is the cult of personality that that becomes a a big thing in the church even today, where you have people who make ministries in their own name. Imagine Stephen McCollum Ministries with a website. Doesn't that sound repugnant? Isn't that an awful thing to have a ministry that's centred on the person himself Uh, and to have a following that appreciates more the diversity of that person rather than the unity that there is amongst ministers. We have to appreciate both, diversity and unity. Don't expect every minister to be the same, but expect them all to be pulling in the same direction. And the second thing we see in this passage is ministerial dispensability and indispensability both things shown to us here we know what it means for something to be indispensable you can't live without it it's so necessary to you you need it and friends the ministry of the gospel is indispensable it's necessary because the the preaching of God's word is the God appointed means of converting sinners of sanctifying saints and preparing people for heaven. The preaching of God's word is indispensable. We see that in the passage, don't we? Do you want an increase? Do you want a harvest? Do you want fruit? It doesn't come from nothing. One must plant and another must water. It's a law of nature, isn't it? If you want flowers in your garden... Or if you want to grow vegetables, if you are too lazy to plant the seeds, you're not going to see any fruit. There'll be no flowers. You must plant. You reap what you sow. And so it is spiritually. Do you want to see fruit? Do you want to see conversions? Do you want to see saints sanctified? Do you want to be prepared for heaven? Well, then you need the preaching of God's word. That is the primary means of grace and it is indispensable to us. If God had not sent ministers to Corinth, how would they be saved? But he did send ministers. In his providence he sent first Paul and then Apollos, men who preached, who preached faithfully and as it says here in verse 5, through them they are uh, those through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. They labored there and they saw fruit. The ministry of the word of God is indispensable because without the ministry of God's word, what do we have? A famine of the word of God. Isn't that what Amos shows us? Is the worst thing that can happen. You'd rather have a famine of bread and of water than a famine of the word of God. You would rather be starving than not to be hearing 
God's word preached. There's something wrong if we would rather physical food than the spiritual. Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And throughout Scotland, I've said this before, throughout Scotland, there are people who are destroyed, perishing for a lack of knowledge. Because there is not a sufficient number of gospel preachers. There are our communities, many, many communities that have no Reformed Church. But there are many places where there is no evangelical witness. Now we may say, we may not, if we were, uh, we'd want to belong to a Reformed congregation. Uh, but but there's, there are places that there aren't even a, those who would preach the gospel. Never mind believe in the Reformed doctrines that we love and we embrace. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Jesus himself said, The harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers. I notice there, there's a problem. There aren't enough preachers. There aren't enough to labour in the field. So what do we do? Do we pray that the Lord would come up with some other mechanism of saving people, of bringing in the harvest? Do we pray that the Lord will send dreams and visions or writing in the sky that these people will be converted and build up in their faith? No, the command to us, our duty, is to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, ministers of the gospel, to preach because the ministry is indispensable. Think of Romans chapter 10. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? You see how God's word puts that uh, emphasis on the preaching of God's word. It's necessary that ministers be sent out to preach in order that people can hear, but not only hear, but that they can, through hearing, believe. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And that is why the ministry is indispensable, because preaching is God's ordained means of converting sinners sanctifying saints and preparing us for heaven. And yet whilst I say that, no one minister is indispensable. Every single labourer, every single minister of God's word is completely dispensable. In and of themselves, dispensable. Look at what our passage shows us. You'd almost think it's, it's, it's not very reverent in how it speaks of ministers here. Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? Who are they? They're nothing. Just ministers. Remember the word minister means servant. They're not masters. They're not the heads. You may think of them as leaders, but they're really just servants of the master. Yes, verse 6, Paul planted and Apollos watered. But don't think that Paul got the increase. 
Or don't think Apollos got the increase. It was God. God sent the harvest. God, by his grace, produced the fruit. Look at verse 7. So then, neither he who preaches, or no, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters. If he's not anything, you could almost say he's nothing, couldn't you? He who plants, he who waters, he who preaches, he who ministers, he's nothing. Certainly compared to God, who gives the increase. We must not look to ministers for what we can only find in God. God and God alone gives the increase. The most gifted minister that there is cannot of himself make a single convert. The most gifted minister cannot make a Christian more holy, even if, as we thought last night in Acts 20, of counseling even with tears. He won't convince them. He won't convince a backsliding sinner to turn and repent and walk in the true way. No, it's God and God alone who gives the increase. John Witherspoon preached on this passage as his farewell sermon from his charge in Paisley. John Witherspoon emigrated to America. He became, he was the only active clergyman to sign the Declaration of Independence. And he said this about this passage. The most clear and distinct illustration of divine truths without inward and spiritual illumination will leave the hearer in ignorance or lead him into error. The most awful demonstrations, and by awful there he's saying powerful, the most awful demonstrations of a son of thunder without divine power will leave the sinner hardened or even increase the searedness of his conscience. The most melting and tender application to the affections without divine energy will be treated with contempt and scorn. Isn't that true? How dependent upon the Lord we are. We can preach we can preach. We can preach three times a week. We could preach more times a week. And yet without the Lord, there is no increase. Now, of course, this doctrine could be abused. And beware lest it be abused. You could say, well, if God gives the increase, let's just sit back and wait for God to move. There's nothing that can be done. It's God that must do it. But that's not what it says here. I planted Paulus watered, but God gave the increase. You see, holding on tenaciously to that, that God alone gives the increase, Paul planted all the more diligently, and Apollos watered all the more carefully, because they recognized that he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. The sovereignty of God in salvation does not deny or even downplay our responsibility to make the message known 
as clearly as possible. But yet we recognise only God gives the increase. The same sermon can produce two very different effects in the people who hear. One person has their heart hardened. They go out all the more committed to their sin, while another person in the midst is saved. One person may delight in the message that he's heard and rejoice in his Saviour, while the other one goes out not having felt any change whatsoever. One sermon, two offence. Just as Paul said in 2 Corinthians, to the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other an aroma of life leading to life. Who is sufficient for these things? And so we see that every single minister is dispensable. The ministry may be indispensable. The ministry may be necessary. It is God's appointed means. But each minister himself, in and of himself, is dispensable. He is nothing, for it's God who gives the increase. The minister did not invent the doctrines that he preaches. The minister did not imagine the gospel scheme. The minister's natural gifts are not sufficient. It's God, and God alone, that gives the increase. And so God is free. Christ, the King of the Church, can dispense with his ministers as he sees fit. One minister dies at an early age despite a promising uh, commencement to his ministry. And we are baffled, we're puzzled. We can't understand it. Why would God allow something like that to happen? Well, this lesson here is one reason. You don't need that minister. He is dispensable in the kingdom. Look to the Lord for the increase. A minister moves to a new charge. A minister has his sphere of service dramatically reduced, and we're puzzled at it. And yet, it's all in the Lord's hands and in his plan. He gives the increase. Ministers are dispensable, even if the ministry is necessary. Now, we could apply this to ministers, and of course there are a few ministers here, and I'm sure they know themselves this truth. It leads us to humility. It should lead us to humility. Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? Who is any one of us ministers of the gospel? Maybe we have people who respect us, who revere us, people who respond to our authority. But who are we? Who are we? We don't give the increase. And therefore we must not rely on ourselves. We are ministers of the word, yes, but also of prayer. Isn't that what's necessary for us? When, when the deacons were instituted in the early church in Acts chapter 6, why was it? It was so that they could take off the responsibilities, the practical responsibilities in the church, so that the apostles, the ministers, could give themselves to prayer and to the word of God. Both go together. And so we are to be humble and men of prayer. But to the congregation also, aren't you to take this truth and respond in prayer? 
Don't rely on any one minister. Don't rely on any human. Don't rely simply on the natural gifts of a man, but depend upon the Lord. Depend upon him for the increase. And if this is true, that God alone gives the increase, shouldn't we be pleading that the Lord would give an increase? Shouldn't we hold up our hands and say we don't pray as we ought? We were talking about this, uh, I think some of us were talking over the weekend of, of, of prayer and how at a communion season there tends to be more prayer, prayer for a blessing, and we see the answer to prayer. But what about the other services? What about the regular Sabbath preaching? Maybe if we prayed, if we prayed similar to how we pray for the weekend, maybe then we would see a blessing. Maybe we would see more. Let's be men and women of prayer. But also, friends, this doctrine shows to us that all glory goes to God alone and not to man. This is our thanksgiving service after our communion. And doesn't this reminder encourage us to be grateful to God? I don't know for yourselves, when you sat at the Lord's table, did you experience a blessing? Did you sense Christ's presence spiritually with you? Did you find some encouragement from any of the sermons preached or from the participating in the sacrament? Did the Lord minister to you? Well, the glory goes to him and not to the man. Not to the man who preached. Not to the man who administered the supper, but to the Lord. I know you know this. But isn't it, isn't it true that we should be looking to him with thankfulness? The Lord gives the increase. And friends, as I finish my ministry here amongst you, and whether or not the call that you have made out is successful, look to the Lord and to him alone and not to man. The Lord gives the increase and therefore look diligently and with faith to him. We read yesterday from Acts chapter 20 from Paul's farewell and I just close with these words. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Amen. Let's stand to pray. <clears throat> o Lord our God, we bless you that Christ Jesus is King and Head of his Church. And from heaven he directs the affairs of his kingdom in his providence, as well as by his word. We thank you that he raises up laborers. We bless you that he uses them for his purposes, and that when he dispenses with them, it is also for his glory. O oh Lord, help us to remember that while one plants and another waters, you give the increase. May we rely upon you alone for all the fruit that we long for. May we be people of prayer, for we know that when we go to you in prayer, that the prayer of a righteous man avails much. Oh, give us faith, we pray. And may all glory and honour go to you. 
May we be quick to return thanks to the Lord. May we rejoice in the Lord always. For your servant said again, I will say, rejoice. We pray, Lord, that we would be a thankful people. And that such thankfulness would be seen in the world around us. And that they would marvel. Because they would see that there is fruit from your work here in our midst. Bless this congregation in these days moving forward. Be with them and help them to look to you and to you alone. Lord, hear us and answer us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. (coughs) We'll conclude with Psalm 127. I think this puts our theme into into song very well here. (coughs) Except the Lord to build the house, the builders lose their pain. Except the Lord the city keep, the watchmen watch in vain. Tis vain for you to rise betimes, or late from rest to keep, to feed on sorrow's brand, so gives he his beloved sleep. Lo, children are God's heritage, the womb's fruit his reward, the sons of youth as arrows are, for strong man's hands prepared. O happy is the man that hath his quiver filled with those, they unashamed in the gate shall speak unto their foes. Psalm 127. Let's stand as we sing God's word.
kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.